So welcome to another episode of Raw with me, Tom Latcham. I'm still here with uh, London Electricity, a.k.a. Tony Coleman, who's the uh, founder or co-founder, rather, of Hospital Records. Uh, we finished the last uh, part, Tony, by um, talking about when it became a full-time job and, and also about the help that you received from the government to set up a uh, hospital under or, or record labels under the Tories. I'm interested to know about the, the political sphere in which you were set up because uh, your development came around the time of the end of Tory rule uh moving out of more than 15 years of a government who appeared I think it's fair to say not to love the underground arts I mean certainly mm. not rave music um and then be the beginning of New Labour and Cool Britannia which sort of seemed to embrace that side of things a little bit more mm -hmm. did you feel part of that movement at the time I mean I was I was always massively anti-Tory um and yeah the enterprise allowance scheme helped me in the 80s that was way before hospital um wasn't loads of money it was like 80 quid a week you know which i could live off uh and i mean i mean i, re I remember when very very vividly when labor won with a landslide in 97 and I was out all night um, at the end, the end club. There was, they had an all night election special where they projected the the vote count on the wall of their, their kind of like lounge area. Um, I played a house set earlier on in the night and, and then just kind of like everyone was vibing, you know, it became obvious that Labour were going to win by landslide. And I, I remember walking back from the end to my girlfriend's house at six o'clock in the morning through that part of London. And pe people were just bringing bundles of newspapers out to the to the stands. And there it was, you know, Labour, Labour landslide. Um, it was an incredible feeling, like, utter euphoria it was wow life is going to be okay you know and it was for a while until it became increasingly clear with the iraq war mm. that um tony blair was actually a lizard you know <laughs> he wasn't our savior he was he was a master of the dark arts um, but you know it, it, I... Putting aside any political allegiances, I think if you look at statistics, society became safer under New Labour for a period. It um, did. It did. And the economy as well, because Gordon Brown was a brilliant economist and uh, the economy was running really, really well. So it was a really great period for the country. There's no doubt. And it is, it's a shame that, that Blair um, did that thing with Iraq you know it was wrong but how much of that uh culture that was created by that sea change in government uh how much did that help the the landscape for your for hospital to to prosper and survive and because as, as, as sort of at the same time you had Ronnie Size winning the Mercury Prize which mm. was you know, huge I mean you know you had Goldie as well um bringing in a more sort of 
mainstream focus type of music type of night celebrities going along it became part of that sort of wider cool britannia how much did that uh that sort of environment allow you to to, to, to start to flourish i don't think it made any difference at all because regardless of politics or institutions or whatever we do our thing in drum and bass you know and it it really yeah we, we can have political leanings um but at the end of the day it doesn't make any difference to our music um drum and bass is very healthy now and we've got the most um autocratic right-wing government that we've ever had in this country at the moment but we're just doing our thing and it's it's not made easy by things like brexit which no. is a nightmare for really fucking the whole music industry over you know that there, there's no doubt mm. and not just the music industry obviously most industries yeah, a lot of um industry. so but still we have to find a way um well much of hospitals music certainly early on uh has been genuinely musical so elements of jazz and funk and mm. all the things that you brought to it uh, and you set up hospital around the same time as ronnie size was blowing up and and, mm. and and winning that mercury music prize um was your rise linked to his success vice versa or did you just hit that zeitgeist very different i mean the the bristol sound i mean you, you gotta remember it was a, a collective that ronnie was part of you know with diane crust and so forth later became represent um that bristol sound was very different it was that that was really rooted in um the sort of around the time of acid jazz there was smith and mighty um in bristol and they they were pretty fundamental in terms of the transition from acid jazz through trip hop um into sort of pre drum and bass i'd say you know it's one of the threads so the bristol the bristol scene was very kind of like bristol and it was a, a lovely kind of hothouse of ideas and so with hospital the whole point was to never look at anyone else never watch anyone else do what other people don't do and don't do what other people do you know that was a mantra that could easily have gone wrong but it didn't don't know why <laughs> what did ronnie size's success do for you and for the genre of drum and bass interestingly after his success every interview without fail that, that we had the journalists would say so drum and bass is dead <laughs> you know or drum and bass has sold out right and it's now appearing on perfume um shampoo commercials you know and uh it kind of was and there was a moment where suddenly we thought it's going to implode because it's got too popular you know but it didn't and that's not ronnie size's fault at all not not his sound there was a particular sound that was getting kind of like rinsed commercially um 
and that was like and yeah interviews were all about that you know do you ever so, still feel that nowadays that it's going to get so popular it's all going to topple over no it's it's too fast it's never going to get it's never going to get that popular and good you know that's good there'll be there'll be the occasional breakaway you know um i mean for a while like before streaming it was all about radio one playlists and within that it was all about zane low annie mac um for many years they had a um a massive hold on all forms of dance music uh but now that's not important like getting playlisted on radio is not important so what is important is actually having a a fan base who listen to your music who stream your music who buy your stuff directly from you and um, that's important you know the days of actually charting and so forth that's that's now completely irrelevant who who knows what's in the charts? I don't know. I used to know. Yeah, but I, I mean, you are sixty. Yeah, but I work in. I the mean, if you if you knew who was number one in the charts age sixty, I, I think you're doing sixty wrong. That's all. Well, <laughs> put, put it this way: my boys, they're eleven and fourteen. I bet they don't know. They don't know, and they don't care. All they care about is what's on TikTok. Hmm. Um. Not even YouTube, you know, what's on TikTok, what's big on TikTok. And if, if something's big and they like it, then they'll they'll find it on Spotify and listen to it. You know, it's... You'll, you'll have to forgive me for this because I'm not a TikToker. Uh, <coughs> uh, like with the top of, you know, you like with what's in the charts, I am 38. So um, I, I, is Hospital on TikTok? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of our, some of our younger promotional staff, um, Put things on TikTok, yeah. Well, I think that's the next thing for you. Clearly, you know, if you want to increase, you know, get more and more people coming into it, that's obviously a, a the, the current tool, right? Well, yeah, only if you do it right. Again, it's like you mm, can't just go do it expect things to happen. You've got to do it right and be funny, and you know, know but that, how. But that surely plays it. into hospitals' uh, skill set. Yeah, it does. It does. I should. I maybe I should be on TikTok. Um, I think you should. I think you should. I mean, in the way that you've just told me that you got in touch with iTunes early doors and did that. You know, you're obviously an early adopter of things. Well, I mean, you've missed TikTok. You're not an early adopter of it, but <laughs> it's still got. I, I, you know, I mean, it's still got some way to go before it's you know dies like Facebook is. Well, it, yeah, I don't think it's ever going to be monetized. Um, I mean, we were we weren't we weren't early adopters with Spotify because. They weren't paying enough money early on. They were ripping artists off, you know. So we were very guarded. But in the end, we we got on and we developed a close relationship with them. And now we've got a great relationship with Spotify. And we, you know, we know it's it's the major player, mm. you know. So 
we didn't see that one coming. I Although interest, interestingly, um, they took away the rights to use Spotify on controllers uh, last June, which I thought was a bizarre decision. And so I abandoned it. And I can imagine I'm not the only person who DJs who abandoned it because I, I went to Tidal and Tidal is crap. But, you know, it is still streamable because uh, for, for controllers. And I, I, I found that a very strange decision. Who What? Spotify took it away? Mm-hmm. Did they? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I wonder yeah, it was why. weird. Really weird. And I actually think that the, the you should be doing the opposite, like because there's a real desire for those old school records. You know, get the B sides on Spotify. Don't take it away from the controllers. Get more on Spotify so people then you know come to you and use it. Now, all right, it's only me, but I'm sure there's other people. That's fifteen quid a month. Think, they're not getting. Yeah, I think. Um, actually, we were involved in that. Um, there were a lot of independent labels who were lobbying Spotify to to um put away from that because we we do rely on djs actually buying mm, our music from beatport or directly from us uh so if a dj is only paying 15 pounds a month for their mm. for their record bag you know that that kind well, of and then, i mean they're not, they're not getting that 15 pound either i mean they're getting a tiny tiny portion of yeah. it so i totally so, I, I understand why a record label would mm. would not want to do that but um i just thought it was a strange one for all the bedroom djs you know like I, I don't mix vinyl so a lot of things are just on vinyl and i don't want vinyl it has no benefit to me whatsoever so it's very very it's very easy if you like a tune on spotify it's so easy to rip it mm. and then dj yeah. with it you know yeah. the quality yeah. is good enough right so it's really easy to do fine um just to go back uh to that sort of the 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 period of change around drum and bass in that sort of late 1990s dan gresham who, who obviously you know is on one of your acts new tone um he said that jungle and drum and bass used to be and this is a quote is from one of your uh, documentaries that, that he was in mm. rude boy then hospital came along and changed that is he correct I don't know. I've never actually thought of that. Um, I think that's that's. I think personally think that's a load of crap. Um, sorry, Dan, but and I think to talk in those terms is it's quite dangerous, really. And there was never any kind of like feeling for me um to kind of like not be a rude boy or whatever i mean i i used to i used to hang out with fabio and groove rider and bailey a lot and they were lovely they were really really supportive so I didn't I didn't feel kind of like oh yeah we need to clean up the scene or anything not at all and I've got my own skeletons in the closet but I've always kept them quite far away from my work what do you mean <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> what do you mean? You've got skeletons in your closet. I what mean, you, truth or dare? If you want, 
<laughs> well, but look, because around that time that you did come into the game, drum and bass had an image problem and it had an image change. You know, it was getting written about in certain ways in the mainstream press, whether it was right or wrong. It was do, you know, it, it was being done. It was sort of saying that it was uh, it was violent, that there was crack cocaine. And we know that there was crack cocaine use at that time and sort of it did change itself. It did rid itself of those elements. Part of the success of hospital has been a safe environment. Clearly, you know, you. You you trade on that, you know that is part of your sell. Come along to our events. It's it's fun. It's light. It's not heavy. It's not going to be any bother. Um, and you know, more mainstream. Some might say whiter middle class crowd came in. Man, Mampy Swift interviewed him. He said that he thinks there was a deliberate move to change the scene and get rid of the troublesome element. Now you're saying, as far as you're aware, it wasn't anything to do with you. But do you think that there was in terms of a wider move? No, I mean the kind of like. The trouble in the dance element, like people letting off firearms in Brixton Academy and um, so forth, that that was obviously a massive problem because it shut down events a lot and people couldn't get a license to put on um, drum and bass or jungle nights for quite some time. And when we moved into heaven, that was that was the one big struggle was to get a license and to get the authorities to and the police to believe that we weren't going to have guns and crack cocaine in our rave you know um so what happened was the sort of the sort of gangster element if you like moves from jungle and drone base into garage um and I've always thought that if, you, if you're talking about drugs, I've always associated, certainly with the roots of it and the early days, I've associated drum and bass and jungle with weed, which is a very pacifying drug. And that's always been my, back in those days, that was my drug of choice. I don't have a drug of choice anymore. Um, because I've got kids, but yeah, weed was always went extremely well with the genre. And crack cocaine, not. <laughs> no, I mean, I, th I honestly, I, th I do think, I mean, crack cocaine's got this weird sort of stigma. People assume that people who take crack cocaine are um, gangsters criminals um it's not true it's really not true i mean i've it's interesting in lockdown i met quite a few people i've never met before um i've met some crack cocaine addicts who you would never guess that that's what they were you know they just look like completely normal successful people so uh there isn't actually an association, a genreification, to use that word, of any drug anymore, you know. So what did you do to convince, say, Brixton Academy that there would not be guns and there would not be those sort of drugs in your uh, parties that other people perhaps weren't necessarily able to convince them? Well, um, I mean, there's a really good book written by the guy who... He started putting events on at Brixton Academy 
damn it, I can't remember the name of the book. It's brilliant because it really goes into this, this whole issue. And I mean, the police and the council, they actually want to facilitate events. Well, they used to. Don't know about the police now, but back then they used to. And they would just require, as promoters, they would require you to to prove to them that you've got a lot of security and <clears throat> cameras and also to to show them the track record of your events leading up to that event have any of been have any of them been stopped because of trouble um all that kind of thing so if you've got a track record a good track record that really goes a long way well it worked and that element did clearly leave uh, jungle. I mean, some people. We interviewed Fabio at the very start of this series, and he said Garage came along and uh, and 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 saved the scene, which is which is interesting. Well, that, and that's kind of what I said. Garage came along and actually took the the toxins away from drum and bass. I feel. And how did you feel when that happened? Uh, was it obvious? Could you see it? No, no, you don't. When those things happen at the time, you don't really realise. <clears throat> at all for a while it looked like garage was going to topple drum and bass you know there was like mj cole making amazing tunes that were flying on white label you know sincere was i think they sold about twenty thousand on white label and it was an amazing track and it did look like that was you know people were saying oh drum and bass is dead garage is the new king, you know, the king is dead, long live the king. And uh, a lot of drum and bass producers got scared and started to make Garage, which is a bit like what happened with Dubstep. When Dubstep came, came along, Dubstep kind of came out of Garage and Dubstep blew up at the beginning of like EDM. Um, a lot of drum and bass producers, oh, I'm not gonna make any money with drum and bass, I've got to make Dubstep. You know, and they did for a while, and then dubstep just died. So it all came back, <laughs> as they tend to do in all these genres when they depart and come yeah. back again. Oi, oi, go check out the new digital six track EP, a new hype from the 14 year old DJ Seema. Yes, 14 on full the core recordings. I mean, sounds more ravey in Essex than Warrington, though, doesn't it? We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five, putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. 
As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing, as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com, where you can find loads of cool extra content, and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Uh, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the app. On Friday, the 20th of August, Tom Hanks and a new event, Return to Source, celebrating 90s rave, hardcore, jungle, happy hardcore, drum and bass, and techno. Touch us down at Suki 10C in Digbeth, Birmingham. We have Fusion South Coast legend DJ Druid, Quest and Fiber Optics DJ Fallout, the uprising northern legend that is DJ Paulo, and London Town's final trickster playing his first happy hardcore set in over 18 years. Tickets are priced at only £14. Just search Facebook and Eventbrite for Return to Source Rain. Sort of fast forward a little bit. Um, in 2002, Chris Goss stepped back from London Electricity because at the time you were a, a double act to focus mm. on the label, but you carried on. Was that an easy change for you to make? Why did you decide to carry on? It was easy for me. It wasn't easy for Chris. It was easy for me because I've always made music. And um, when we were working together, Chris would bring his records in. I'd sample them. Um, I'd do loads of music stuff and drum breaks and stuff. And then he would sort of come in again towards the end of the process, which was structuring the tune and making those kind of quality decisions. Um, so, but I was, I was always the person who was actually making the tunes, if you like. Uh, and I, I actually wanted to do it myself. I wanted the freedom to do it myself. And I think Chris recognised that his his forte was managing the label and being the um, head of art, art design, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it worked, you know, it worked really well. Well, Liam Feely on Facebook uh because we always uh, invite questions from our listeners on our Facebook and uh, Instagram and all the social media, which you can find if you want, by the way, at Raw UK Pods. Uh, and also we're on YouTube and we ask people there. But he, he on Facebook asked about 15 years ago, he did this sort of live band style gig with drummer and singers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. He loved it. He wonders if there's any chance of doing something like that again. Well, I did the, yeah, that was the first incarnation of London Electricity Live, <clears throat> 2003. And I pulled the band together just to do one tour to support the Billion Dollar Gravy album. But we loved it so much. I loved it so much. Everyone else did. And the crowds loved it that it was obvious we should keep doing it. And we kept doing it till 
middle of 2005, back end of 2005. Um, that was that was amazing. We again, it was DIY. You know, we took turns driving the the minibus. Um, we loaded. We didn't have a tour manager. We didn't have roadies or anything. It was like, and we were getting paid pretty much what I would have got paid if I'd been DJing. But there were six of us. You know, so um, it was brilliant. It was another thing that was like, this is so exciting. Hmm. Um, but I couldn't ask all these musicians to to put their solo careers on hold for more than sort of two and a half years, really. Um, and it, it ran its course. And then I got the London Electricity Big Band together in 2016. And again, it was just for one gig. Just It was to kind of add something unique to the very first hospitality in the park, which... It was a terrifying experience actually doing a festival like that. I bet. I mean, you for one for one night you sing over half a million quid into it for one day, you know, for a twelve hour festival. And if if, if it whether anything 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 go wrong. So I thought I've got to add something different and do this big band. Yeah, that, that'd be wicked. Um, thanks to Steve Pycroft, who's a genius, we got it together. And again, that was amazing. It felt so good that we, we, we wanted to do more. So we did like some select festival gigs in 2017, but it was too expensive to have a tour. It was amazing. It really was. Was it, it, it was that the, um, the old school, the, the musician in you coming out, which do you prefer the DJing or the, or, or the performing of live music? There are, I mean, when you're, when, when you're performing, or actually when you're writing or recording, um, the best moments are when you get into a kind of flow state. And when you get into a flow state, you suspend thinking. You don't think, you do. And that that could be performing, that could be writing, that could be improvising, that could be in the studio with a, with a vocalist. And I mean, I love all of those situations. It can be DJing. A really, you talk to any good DJ and their favorite DJ sets are when they've reached that point where they're, they're just flying. You know, they're in that flow state and there's no, you just switch your brain off and you, you are, performing you are the music you know and play, playing live when it's going well is, is like that it's absolutely amazing i love i love playing it's the first time i ever played bass was in the big band i mean i played it in the studio but not played it live and i absolutely loved it it's brilliant um and again in the studio for me those moments working with the vocalist having me having initial ideas for the session and suddenly together we get on the same wavelength and turn this initial idea into a glorious um, symphony of voices. Uh, that That is amazing. You know, that's all of those things, whether, whether it be DJing, playing live or creating music, you do get moments of utter joy 
mm. and connection. I bet. What's your what 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 gig either from live or from DJing is your most memorable and why? I mean, in terms in terms of live. Oh hello. Uh, in terms of live, it's uh, I'm just being joined by Pippin here. Um, We're a family podcast. Absolutely. Uh, I would say one of the big bang gigs we did uh, a festival in Slovenia called Pahoda, which turned out to be unbelievable. And it was peak, like everybody. And this is like 22 people on stage. Some of the finest jazz musicians from the UK. And we flew. And at, at the end of the set, everyone was like shell shocked, <laughs> completely shell shocked by what had happened on stage. It was absolutely remarkable. It really was. That's the best really? live show I've ever been in. Um, DJing wise, wow, that's really hard. I mean, that is difficult. You know, there are certain moments that that stick out, like playing 20, 21 years of hospital set at Printworks. No, not Printworks. Um, tobacco Docks um that was that was fantastic because i literally had to do it all in an hour and a quarter the whole history of hospital so i was double and triple dropping almost every mix Brilliant. to try and get all these tunes in and flying by the seat of my pants but somehow it worked i don't normally dj like that you know i prefer a much longer musical journey yeah but this was like a bit different. You've got to you do know, it. Even with like the early stuff that's very kind of lounge corey and all that, you know, I was just kind of dropping it in and like it worked, you know, it was high energy, it worked really well. Um that that was fun. I mean it, so many great sets, great clubs, great audiences. Um it's been it's been an amazing journey. It really has. And what's been your biggest performing nightmare? Um, very early on when I hadn't been DJing for that long, but Chris and I and Q Project, we were invited to play in Dublin and it was like two sets, um, two different clubs. And I got, I got drunk after the first set <laughs> and I, I couldn't mix. I could not mix. I was so embarrassed when I got to the second the second night, <laughs> the second club. I couldn't. I just didn't know what I was doing. I did not know. Uh, that was the last time I ever got drunk before DJing. Is that right? Probably for the best by the sounds of it. It doesn't work. <laughs> I know, so, you know, obviously you love performing, but I've read how much as well that you love running the label and giving an opportunity to new acts. And you have bring on, you know, helped bring on so many uh, successful acts. Um, what is it about bringing on those acts that most that most pleases you? I mean, it is, it's been brilliant looking at, some of the artists who've been on the label for quite some time who started when they were really young and now 
now they've they've bought a house they've got kids i mean that's amazing and they might have gone on to do that anyway but i mean the a and r philosophy with hospital has always been not to never to tell an artist what to do but to listen to them and help them to to be a better version of themselves when they're making music in the studio so to help them get the best out of themselves um on a piece of vinyl that's that's the most and for me i think it's because i was a struggling artist for years and i never found a label that would properly nurture me rather than rinse me out so it that from that angle for me it's personally very very satisfying to be able to do that and i i was personally invested in with everything i had um in building and running the label you know it was my life and does it does it um being the head of a business upon which so many young people's uh, lives depend and I mean you know your artists of course um mm. I don't mean other I mean you know it might be your, your punters as well but I'm talking about your artists um in the early days when you had no money and it was all a bit hand to mouth must you said it was qu quite scary but even now having so you know being big brings with it its own problems and its own concerns and do, do you ever find that scary that you have so many lives in your hands and you are at the behest of events and mm. i don't mean events like hospitality i mean you know things that happen yeah life life events i mean yeah. no actually uh quite the reverse i mean i and chris we both always uh put a lot of time into recruiting the right staff and we've got an incredibly strong team now and that, that includes directors um management it's bulletproof you know and everyone is an expert in their field so since since we really got big as, as you call it um I've realized that I actually get very bored with the the administration on the business side. I think you can take time out now. I mean, you've been doing it for 25 years, mate. Uh, I think you can let yeah. someone else uh, do gamify well, your uh, your accounts now. <laughs> that, that's what I've done. And I mean, at the moment, and this, this was kind of, lockdown has been a period of contemplation for everybody, I think, you know, um and has in a lot of people has kind of triggered change uh myself included you know and at the moment i'm i'm actually stepping back from not only from the running of the day-to-day -day kind of admin running of the company um also the a and r side as well because it's been relentless absolutely and with the volume of music that hospital puts out 
is relentless. And I was, I was just about to say, maybe I'm too old to do it. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm an expert. I'm the best there is when it comes to A&R. And I'm not being big-headed by saying that. I just know it's true. Uh, and my, my vision for picking new artists has shaped the label. Uh, at the moment, I need to, and I am doing, really slow down and mm. not not kind of weaponize my ego for the sake of ambition and kind of like, which is what, it's just what I've, how I've driven it all these years. But it's it's time to let that go now. And, and it's not a question of kind of me just relaxing in an armchair going, oh, yes, look at what I've done. I can just like, you know, I can just smoke spliffs till I die. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not that at all. Uh, I'm still very creative. And I think I want my creative energy back, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. For me, you know, for but, me and my family. So, so, so you're sort of going to focus more on your your own creative side rather than all of those elements of of, of running a label, the A and R, and that sort of thing. That's just, so, what, so what are you doing? With, if you're the best A and R in the business, and you're no longer in the business because you're not doing A and R anymore, how do you make sure that you get the best A and R in the business on Hospital Records to replace you? Well, it's it's all about you. Don't step back until you've not only successfully Tra trained your young Jedi. Well, precisely. And the, the A&R squad, currently a hospital, we, we took a decision over the last two years to to really expand A&R to include any member of staff who wants to get involved. Because there is no, there's no rule book for A&R. And you're, all you've got to do is be kind of like spiritually and emotionally invested in the music, you know, and uh be able to be objective if you do that and if you have a good relationship with an artist then you can really help them to be the best version of themselves and the a and r team the kind of core of the a and r team now is chris goss um he knows he knows a good tune when he hears it uh which is important he's not technically an a and r like he doesn't really get involved in the technical shenanigans. Um, the main person for that is Dan Newtone, who's now full-time A&R staff. Um, and he is the professor. You know, he's he's a proper technical Jedi. Um, and then there's Tilo. Tilo, we got in to run our publishing division, and he is fantastic A&R, really good. You know, and when when we when we bring people into A and R, it's like we just give them, we might give them a little, like a baby artist to test themselves out on, you know, and then if they if they if they own their stripes, then we'll we'll give them more weighty projects. And now there's a really strong core to the A and R team, and inevitably, uh, because I'm no longer. I mean, I used to micromanage the A&R, like you wouldn't believe, right, right up until a couple of years ago. Um, and I was pretty crap at delegating, to be honest, because I had to micromanage everything that everyone was doing, mm. just in case they weren't doing it as well as I could. 
I stopped doing that completely. So it's going to change because the sound of a label is actually, at the end of the day, it's the people who make decisions to sign artists, the people who then help to nurture those artists. That gives you the sound. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it um, how it moves forward. Definitely. It, well, it will, and, uh, and we're going to get your take on how it might look post uh, pandemic, particularly now. We now we know with the new A and R man or all the new A and R people yeah. that are involved yeah. in hospital yeah. records. Uh, uh, but we'll also talk about what the last year has been like. You said there's been a few surprises uh, oh, during yeah. the pandemic, so uh, we'll yeah. explore that in the next episode of Raw with me, Tom Latcham, and London Electricity Tony Coleman. Nice. Well, that's it for another episode of Raw. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to get involved. All of us here at Raw HQ buzz hard off how much you, the Raw crew, enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch. But we're now a team of five, putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages. We've got loads of plans to go further, expand our team and offer but that does mean that our costs are also increasing. So we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of Raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw uk pods to see what's on offer you can also join our youtube membership which is the same or if you're not bothered about membership but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or repeat donation head to our website and click the paypal link that website url one more time rawuk.com respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis oi oi